And please stand and let's read Psalm 33. <clears throat> Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. <clears throat> Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to Him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright and all His work done in faithfulness. Now, the topic today is the sovereignty of God. So, try to get your minds framed for that. The next verses. <clears throat> for the word of the Lord is upright. And all His work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of His mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of His heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen as His heritage. The Lord looks down from the heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where He sits enthroned, He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. <clears throat> the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him on those who hope in His steadfast love, that He may deliver their souls from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let Your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in You. You may be seated. <clears throat> How do you feel today after last week's sermon? Remember that? Feel and think. Billions of locusts in Nairobi. Billions eating all the leaves. Climate change. Coronavirus. Stock market. Tetanus in my children playing on a farm. Vaccinations. My baby is not gaining weight. My car broke down again. She's the governor of my state. Supreme Court made a bad decision five years ago, 48 years ago. So let's take the coronavirus for a minute. It's an attempt by haters of the U.S. president to bring him down. There's no science, no science behind COVID-19. 
I've read about all about it from the World Health Organization officials and the CDC, and I believe everything they say. Ah, oh, the Chinese government cracked down and violated. They got everybody under control, and that's why they conquered the virus. We need to be like them. If you're a Christian and you muster up just enough faith, you'll never get a virus. You'll always be healthy. God's judgment on sinful cities and nations, that's the coronavirus. It's a relatively small thing. After all, 2,560,000 people die every year from pneumonia around the world. Why am I thinking about the coronavirus so much? I thought this was so helpful. How many times the media mentioned HIV? 69 million. SARS, 66 million. MERS, 33 million. Ebola, 16. How many times have they mentioned coronavirus? 2.1 billion times. What is going on? Okay, so here's the outline for today. <clears throat> have a definition of sovereignty. We'll talk about different aspects of God's sovereignty. And we'll talk about sovereignty demonstrated. And then how might we live if we actually believe in God's sovereignty? Who is regulating the affairs of the earth? God or the devil? Said, well, God's in heaven. He takes care of heaven. A lot of people think that, but like the earth, is He actually regulating what goes on here? So, one of the most significant books for me in the last 10 years reading has been The Sovereignty of God by Arthur Pink. So you're going to see a lot of quotes from him today. <laughs> but it's just a wonderful book. It's just a whole book on the sovereignty of God. It is one of my favorites. Who is regulating affairs on this earth today? Now, you know, Pink wrote a while back and he had a little bit of language, so you guys have to think hard listening to Pink. God or the devil? What impression is made upon the minds of those men of the world who occasionally attend a gospel service? What are the conceptions formed by those who hear even those preachers who are counted as orthodox? Is it not that a disappointed God is the one whom Christians believe in? From what is heard from the average evangelist today... Now remember, this was 1930. Lest you think that's a long time ago, that was only 24 years before I was born. Let's get all perspective. <clears throat> from what is heard from the average evangelist today, is not any serious hearer obliged to conclude that he professes to represent a God who is filled with benevolent intentions, yet he's unable to carry them out. That he is earnestly desirous of blessing men, but that they will not let him then must not the average hearer draw the inference that the devil has gained the upper hand and that God is to be pitied rather than blamed? He's a weak God. He, can't, he really can't get it done like the devil can. So is the devil regulating or ordering Russia? Or the U.S. FBI and CIA? Coronavirus? What about the locusts? Back to the locusts. Just five days ago. Just five days ago. Maybe you thought it was over. 
Hundreds of billions, hundreds of billions of locusts are swarming parts of East Africa, destroying their crops. There's almost no way to stop them. Now, remember the, the law of non-contradiction? I've talked about that before. Something cannot be and not be in the same way at the same time. Jesse is either an elephant or he's not an elephant. There, there's, no, there's no in-between. There's a, that's a basic law of logic. And where do we get those laws? God. We, we didn't, philosophers didn't make up the laws of logic. Okay, We just described what God has done. Only two alternatives possible. God must either rule or be ruled. Sway or be swayed. Accomplish his own will or be thwarted by his creatures. And is not the devil one of his creatures? So think, you know, really think about this. Who's in charge? And the answer we know is God, but that's what we're going to be into today. Now, why would we even bother considering an attribute of God? Why do we bother studying the traits of God? Why do we think about that? How do you get to know your wife? You get to know her attributes and her traits, her characteristics. For a better relationship with your friends, you spend time with them and you get to know them. You know what makes them hangry or not. You know what makes them tick or not. You know what they want to talk about. Important things to you or not to you. Biblical things or not. You get to know people. The more you get to know people, the deeper relationship, the more you can value somebody. Lawson said this about these, these relationships. Worthwhile relationships are based on knowledge. When we meet someone for the first time, we do not consider that we really know that person until we have the opportunity to learn more about that person, such as his or her history, personality, likes, dislikes, and desires. Think about God, okay? As we come to know more about a new acquaintance, we better understand how to carry on a relationship with that person. In the same way, a vibrant relationship with the triune God must be rooted in a firm understanding of who He reveals Himself to be in His Word. That's one of the reasons I like so much to study the sovereignty of God. We can get to know Him better, understand Him better, love Him better, trust Him more, have more peace and confidence in life under His sovereignty. Calvin wrote, It is evident that man never attains to a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. So long as we do not look beyond the earth, we are quite pleased with our own righteousness, wisdom, and virtue. We address ourselves in the most flattering terms and seem only less than demigods. But should we once begin to raise our thoughts to God and reflect what kind of being He is and how absolute the perfection of that righteousness and wisdom and virtue to which as a standard we are bound to be conformed, what formerly delighted us by its false show of righteousness will become polluted with the greatest iniquity. What strangely imposed upon us under the name of wisdom will disgust by its extreme folly. And what presented the appearance of virtuous energy will be condemned as the most miserable impotence. So far as those qualities in us which seem most perfect from corresponding to the divine purity. So we want to study what God is like so we can get our minds in the right place. 
In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, man. So, the word sovereign and sovereignty in modern translations doesn't show up very often. Very infrequently. I'll just read a couple. Of, in the ESV, sovereign's there once. That's it. Sovereignty, none. King James Version, it's not there. The American Standard Bible, sovereign's once and sovereignty seven times. This is some examples. But because a word is not in there, does that mean that that concept is not in there? No. We know that from some other areas of theology, right? And just some examples from the New American Standard. I won't, I'm not going to read all these, but Psalm 103:19, it has to do with rule, dominion, empire, kingdom, realm, reign, royal. A lot of those things are not things we... We don't like those words, do we? Democracy, right? Democracy. Independence. Libertarianism. All that stuff, right? Isaiah 17.3, it's the same word. Daniel 4.31, it has to do with dominion, kingdom, realm, reign. It's a little different word. Daniel 4.36 is the same as one of those. Daniel 5.18 is the same as one of those. Daniel 7.27, Daniel 11.4, same as some of those. And then the word sovereign in the New American Standard Bible has to do in 1 Timothy 6. So it does show up in the New Testament. A ruler or an officer of great authority, mighty, potentate. Again, we don't like those words. Especially ever since 1776, we don't like those words. Okay, ESV. I'm not looking at anyone. Okay, in Acts 4.24, an absolute ruler. Listen to this one. A despot. God? A despot? Interesting. First Timothy 6.15. It's the same as in uh, earlier and Revelation 6.10. Same as earlier. So those are just some examples. So, first, a definition or two. This is from the Gospel Coalition. <clears throat> the sovereignty of God is the same as the Lordship of God. For God is the sovereign over all creation. The major components of God's lordship are His control, <clears throat> authority, and covenantal presence. The sovereignty of God is the fact that He is the Lord over creation. As sovereign, He exercises His rule. His rule. Not your rule, not my rule, not anybody else's rule. The rule is exercised through God's authority as King, His control over all things, and His presence with His covenantal people and throughout His creation. The divine name, Yahweh, expresses this sovereign rule over against the claims of human kings, such as Pharaoh. Because God is tripersonal, however, His sovereign control is not impersonal or mechanical, but is the loving and gracious oversight of the King of creation and redemption. And Lawson says God is sovereign. He rules over all things with absolute control. Not a little bit of control. Not a lot of control. Not a mucho, mucho control, but absolute control. Absolute control. <clears throat> I, just, I just love reading him, so I'm just going to read some of you, some of him to you today. Alas, that doctrine which is the key to history, the interpreter of providence, the warp and woof of Scripture, and the foundation of Christian theology should be so sadly neglected and so little understood. Just 
think about your own life. Think back in your life. I think a lot of us thank God that He saved us. But think about the every detail of your life. Every detail of your life. The fact that we meet here in this building. What cars you've had. What friends have betrayed you. When your friends or your family died. It's a part of the warp and woof of history is God's sovereignty. What do we mean by this expression? We mean the supremacy of God, the kingship of God, the Godhood of God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that God is God. <clears throat> to say that God is sovereign is to declare that He is the Most High. Doing according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. So that none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? To say that God is sovereign is to declare that He is the Almighty, the possessor of all power in heaven and earth so that none can defeat His counsels, thwart His purpose, or resist His will. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that He is the governor among the nations, setting up kingdoms, overthrowing empires, and determining the course of dynasties as He pleaseth him best. <clears throat> to say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Such is the God of the Bible. Now, some of you, some of us, came from traditions or places or when we got saved. Still feels a little strange, doesn't it? What? He's in charge of everything? Even my decision, we're going to get into that. Even the people who are in hell. Yes. <clears throat> what are some aspects of God's sovereignty? First of all, I want to say sovereignty is not God, but it's an aspect of God. So we, you always have to keep that in mind, you know, because... Remember, God's, he's, he's bigger than immense. And He has many attributes. So it's not His only attribute. It's not His only trait. It's not His only characteristic. It's not the only adjective that describes Him. It's not the only noun that describes Him. But it is a part of His being. Okay, so just keep that in mind. <clears throat> How does God display His sovereignty? Genesis 1.1 tells us what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that means everything. If you're into science fiction, sorry, it means all the universes you could ever imagine. Beyond the universes, I don't think universe means anything to God, personally. It just doesn't mean anything to him. Like, universe? What's that? That's nothing to me. I mean, just, that's hard to comprehend, right? Dan loves talking about how far away the stars are, right? Like, it's like, that's incomprehensible. What is 186,000 miles per second? Is that right, you scientists? The light, the speed of light. Hunt, think about that. 186,000 miles in a second. And then we talk about light years. Dan loves that. But to God, that's nothing. He's like, whatever, Dan. You know, like, that's, that's not even... I mean, he's like, outside of that 
looking at it, it's hard to even imagine. Psalm 33, back to our key passage of today. Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, all their hosts. He, God, gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Don't stand in awe of a virus. You know, don't stand in awe of a fungus. Don't stand in awe of president of this country or that country, king of this country or that. Don't stand in awe of them. Colossians 1.16 For in Him all things were created, <clears throat> things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him, Christ Jesus. So we see Trinity. You don't see that word in the Bible, do we? But we see it. Colossians 1.17 He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. One translation says, cohere. I like that word. Scientific word, you know, like, cohere. <clears throat> so we also see God's sovereignty in salvation. So you might think sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, where's that water? <clears throat> Why me, Lord? Why did you save me? You might say it in a humble way. You might say it a little bit of a proud way. Like, you know, I said the prayer. I accepted Jesus. I went looking for Him. <clears throat> Why me? Why not my dad? Why not my friend? Why not that guy at work, my boss, who cusses and swears? Why don't you save him? Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Some things we don't get to find out. <clears throat> now think about this. Why me? Salvation is of the Lord, Jonah 2.9. But the Lord does not save all. Why not? He does save some. And if He saves some, why not others? Is it because they are too sinful and depraved? They're just too sinful and depraved. No. For the Apostle wrote, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Remember Saul? Therefore, if God saved the chief of sinners, none are excluded because of their depravity. Why then does God save all? Why does God not save all? Is it because some are too stony-hearted to be one? No. Because it is written that God will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 11.19 then it is, is it because some are so stubborn, so intractable, so defiant that God is unable to woo them to Himself? Before we answer this question, let us ask another. Let us appeal to the experience of the Christian reader. 
we stop and think, why me? Why not somebody else? What do you know is in Romans 9? Okay, let's go to Romans 9. If you want to go there, Romans 9. It is perhaps the one scripture that most clearly and most emphatically notifies us about the absolute sovereignty, kingship, lordship, and power of God over the destinies of every one of His creatures. Not a few, not a lot, not many, every. Romans 9. But I will just read Romans 9, 21 to 23. <clears throat> Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy which He has prepared when? Beforehand for glory. If you're not sure about the sovereignty of God, that is hard to swallow. If you become convinced about the sovereignty of God by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit working in you, it will not be hard to swallow at all. But if you're saying, I just don't know about that. Read the Bible some more. Read God's Word some more. Ask the Holy Spirit some more for you to carefully check out the Scriptures to see if what I'm saying here today preaching is true or what I'm implying is true. Matthew Henry writes about this section. <clears throat> he, Paul, gives us the comparison. The potter, out of the same lump, may make either a fashionable vessel and a vessel fit for credible and honorable uses or a contemptible vessel and a vessel in which is no pleasure. And herein He, God, I'm inserting this, the One, the Creator, ever and ever, everywhere, for all time, past, present, future, back to Henry, acts arbitrarily. Does that bother you? He acts arbitrarily. That means it's subjectively whatever He wills. He acts arbitrarily we use that word another way usually, right? But it means it's like whatever he wills. Whatever he wills. He acts arbitrarily as he might have chosen whether he would make any vessel of it at all or whether he would leave it where? In the hole of the pit out of which it was dug. Wow. God has that right prerogative power. And where did he get the right? Not from a constitution. <laughs> he just, that's Him. He has it. That's His prerogative. He's sovereign. He's almighty. He's the perfect potentate over the salvation of each of His sheep over His entire church. So, 
Let's go back to our uh, passage. Well, this, it, we'll go there in a minute. So these, these, this passage in chapter 9 shows that man is inert. He can't, he can't act. He can't, he can't overcome that. That came ever since Adam, right? Ever since Adam, he was incapable. He could not believe. He had the sin of unbelief. He couldn't do it without God's act, without God's sovereignty. If we were left to our own wills after Adam, I mean, let's, let's just examine our consciences right now for a moment, right? Even us who are saved, what do we do day after day? We sin. And how many sins did it take to be ready for hell? One. We readily acknowledge that it is very humbling to the proud heart of the creature to behold all mankind in the hand of God as the clay in the potter's hand. How many of you have ever made anything out of clay and pottery? That must be fascinating to you if you're a if you've ever done any pottery. It's like, yeah, anything you want, right? Like the, those, those minerals don't get to tell you anything. And you didn't even create the clay, did you? You just got the lump out of the pit that God already created. Back to our passage in Psalm 33. Verses 13. If you're still there, it helps you to read along. 13 to 21 now. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees how many children? All. All the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. Not just the ones who are going to be in heaven, but the ones who are going to be in hell. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. The atom bomb is a false hope for salvation. Germ warfare is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love that He may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. He's the one who chose you and me if you're a Christian sitting here. He chose you. He made it happen. He regulated that. Now, let's go to something that is a little more difficult for a lot of Christians. Is God sovereign? Is He in control over those who are condemned? If God is sovereign over the salvation of each and every sinner, then it naturally follows He is sovereign over the condemnation of each and every sinner. All were of the same lump of clay, sons of Adam, conceived in sin. Everyone, think back to the whole Bible, everybody you've ever heard of. Abraham, Moses, Noah, John the Baptizer, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Saul, Paul, 
Brother R.C. Sproul, every brother and sister of mine in this room who rules, God or the devil. It's only one. It's the law of non-contradiction. Why are some condemned and burning forever? Is God sovereign in reprobation? There are very, very few Christians who really want to dig into this. If you want to dig further than today, go read that book and some other things. Sovereignty of God. Okay. This is the branch of the subject of God's sovereignty, Pink says, is profoundly mysterious we freely allow. Okay? Yet, that is no reason why we should reject it. From Scripture we know that God decreed that the non-elect should choose the course they follow. Ooh. Okay. Let's look at Joshua 11. 18. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle. Verse 20. For it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts. That they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy but be destroyed just as the Lord commanded Moses. Remember, God made all things, including all people, for His glory and not for our own sakes. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Do you remember? I forget where we were. I don't know if we were in a Wednesday night Bible study or a sermon, but remember the sermon talked about. I was a sermon. I don't know where we were. Sermon Bible it was talking about in Revelation. Praising God for casting people into hell. Remember that? I didn't look up the passage. Go look it up. In Revelation. Am I getting it right, Dan? I think so. Okay. So, we have that in 11. But now there's a step further. Proverbs 16.4 says, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. It expressly declares that the Lord made the wicked for, purposeful, the day of trouble. And we might think, but why? Why? Why would God do that? Because we're human. You know, we have our own little things. We want to transfer them to God. Romans 9.17 tells us about Pharaoh. For this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. It's for God's glory. We talk about that. We say that all the time. But that gives Him glory. The 
condemned and the saved gives Him glory. He's the potentate. We're not. The sinner's not the potentate. He is. That's a very sobering thought. Let's go a little bit further with that. Matthew 7.23 Remember, when did God choose you? If you're a Christian, when did He choose you? Before the foundation of the world. Remember that? He knew you. He decided He would have a relationship with you. When did He do that? With those He would not save. Same time. Matthew 7.23, Jesus says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. That means it was in His sovereign, all-powerful will from before time, before that person was born, before that person was conceived. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Never. He never knew them. It's very sobering. On the contrary, think of this. John 10.14 I am the good shepherd. I know from before time He knew. He planned. He decreed. For I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know Me. Just as the Father knows Me and I know the Father and I lay down My life for the sheep. This was God's decision. It was perfect. So you might still be thinking, Wow. Go study. Think. God is a potentate. He's all-powerful. He's in charge. We can trust Him. We don't have to doubt Him. Whatever He does is right and good. That is the nature of His sovereignty. So, the next section then will be the last section. If this is true, and it is, God is sovereign, how do I live? How do I live before a sovereign God? How do I live before a sovereign God? First of all, realize that this trait of His, and when you think about it, and when you know it, when you believe it, it honors Him. It honors His magnificence. It recognizes the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. The only way, especially in the culture in which we live, where almost everything's about rights, and we're creating a new right every two years, you know, a right to this and a right to that and a right to this and a right to that. This flies in the face of that. Even the rights that we're pretty sure are right in the U.S. Constitution, most of us kind of think those are right, those don't come from our government. What did the founders say? Inalienable. Nature's God and God's, you know, it's... They knew there was something besides the kings and the kingdoms and all that, they knew there was something way beyond that that hinted at or made clear there's some things that are not from man, they're not from evolution, they're not from chance, they're from a thing called a creator. But when we know that, when we believe that, we think that, we glorify God and be thankful. So that's another way to be thankful for everything. Our breath, even our breath today. 
I don't want to keep going back to the coronavirus, but, you know, it has something to do with lungs and respiration and all that. Even our breath is from God. You're not any more or less safe today than you were a month ago. Brother David and I were talking, I think, was it yesterday? Things haven't really changed. Did you know that? Things haven't really changed because God's in charge. Now, I'm going to get to say, I'm not saying don't, you don't have to care about anything. I'm not, I haven't said that, have I? But nothing has changed because the Lord knows what Blanca will or will not get. What Jeff will or will not get as far as the sickness. He knows. He's in charge. He's regulating it. The devil's not. And our CDC's not. I mean, we have to accept that. We have to look at that with faith. God is in charge. Thank Him for our spiritual peace. How do we get that? By Him. Reconciling us to Himself. Washing us with the blood of Christ. We have peace. We don't, we don't have to worry about things. An emotional peace. Say, so, yeah, I, I know spiritually I'm saved, but I'm going to worry all the time. I'm just going to worry. I'm going to worry, 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 worry. We also show that we believe in the sovereignty of God when we love our brothers when times are hard for them. We each can be very self-oriented. It's another thing Dave and I were talking about. Well, I'm going to do this because I've heard the news and I've read the news and this is what I think about this disease or that disease or this whatever, the tsunami's coming, I live in Lincoln City. But then think about your brother or sister. Maybe has a different personality. Maybe lives alone. Maybe needs to be around you. Maybe needs to hear your encouragement. You see what I'm saying? We're, we get very so, but what, what should I do for me and my family? What about other brothers and sisters, other neighbors who are not saved? We look out for them too. We sacrifice our time and our energy and our money and our care when our brothers and sisters are having hard times and challenged. There will be people affected by the current thing going on with, with money, right? There will be. They're already. I've already lost one speaking engagement. Whatever. You know, but and I lost one trip I was excited to go on to the Philippines. It's gone. Um, I talked to a friend in, in uh, Louisiana. He has a dry cleaning, cleaning clothes business on a college campus. He usually makes pretty good money. He says, I'm going to be hit pretty hard. And already I watched my stocks go down. I said, are you going to get off of the roller coaster in the middle of it? Or are you going to wait? I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I said, okay. You know, all these things are going on. They're going on. So looking out for your brother or sister, looking out for your neighbor, that's what we do. That's how we show that we believe the sovereignty of God. Woe is me. Do we say that? Oh, it's so hard. My child's life, my life, it's out of control. I don't know what to do. Look to the sovereignty of God. We have to look to the sovereignty of God. It's the only way you can really get to that, I think. It's the sovereignty of God is thinking about the sovereignty. He is in charge. So, I'm going to read a few scriptures to wrap this up. Ephesians 1. Are you certain, are you peaceful, that you are saved and are you perfectly peaceful in your salvation? Ephesians 1, starting with verse 3. <clears throat> blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing 
in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us. He knew He was going to take each one of you, brothers and sisters, out of that miry, scummy, dirty, nasty pit. Way worse than a pile of clay. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Father, forgive us of our sins this morning and yesterday. According to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to whose purpose? The devil's or His? His. His. According to the purpose of Him who works all things according to what? The counsel of His will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Do you see the theme coming back? Those different verses, those different things I've said already? All according to His power, majesty, might, despotism. Wow, what, to have a good despot? Wouldn't it be great just to forget having the three branches of government? Wouldn't that be a lovely day in America? No three branches of government. No more ads. No more paying for ads on TV or on Google or wherever. And just have a despot. A godly, Christ-honoring despot. And all of his minions would be godly, Christ-honoring despots. I don't think it's happening on earth. Okay. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Sorry, I don't think I have these written out on the overhead. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure. Why can you be sure? Because of God's sovereignty. That's how you can be sure. And He decreed His will is forever and ever and ever and ever. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we can be at rest in the work and the challenges and uncertainties of life. Some of you know this is one of my favorite chapters in New Testament. I'm going to read from Matthew 6. Matthew 6, starting verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Could I insert some other things in here? Getting sick, losing a job, 
Okay, back to Jesus' words. Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, we do have to be like the ant because God said to be like the ant, right? You provide, you work hard. You don't go into debt and become the slave of the lender. You wash your hands if you think you should. Try not to sneeze on your friend. But we're no less certain of our salvation now than a month ago. Or our spiritual security we're no less certain of our God. I think that the sovereignty of God, that part of His nature, gives a Christian a great peace. You can relax, take a big breath, And you can go out and honor the Lord by talking about His sovereignty, depending on Him, loving Him, loving your neighbors, loving each other in the church. So let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word that is so refreshing, so dependable. Father, I ask You to take the words that were spoken out of my mouth during the sermon Use them to build people up. Father, I ask you to help the hearers to be faithful and hard workers. Go and study the word to discern, parse, think, analyze, evaluate according to the word. We've been taught about that a little bit in the book we're studying in the men's and women's breakfast. Interpret the word, your word, by your word. Help us to understand your sovereignty. Have a clear understanding of it. And please, Lord, use your Holy Spirit to help us to apply it in our daily lives with our brothers and sisters, with our neighbors, and with the world. Help us to bring them and draw them. And Father, please bring more people by your sovereign hand to our church to hear the gospel, to hear the good news, and save them, Lord. Save them, we ask you. We come to you, Father, through Jesus. Amen.